This is episode 97 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get into today's show, I do want to thank special patron of the podcast, Alan Sarpy. And Alan is somebody that I've always interacted with on social media, and I'm just really grateful he decided to support the podcast week after week. Look, the podcast, you know, it's not always easy to create a podcast, especially having one as frequent as a weekly show and finding guests and trying to get the best content possible so that you guys can enjoy it. If you want to support the podcast and continue it going week after week, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. There are three tiers, five, 10 and $15 a month that are going to get you access to exclusive audio from podcasts of extra bonus material that I interview the guests on, just like from today's episode. So again, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston. And speaking of today's episode, we're talking with photographer Josh Merrill. I've known Josh for a long time, and it's always interesting to talk to him, especially because he makes a large portion of his income from print sales, something that's not so common anymore in landscape photography. I wanted to press Josh about this a lot. You know, how is he doing this? What he thinks about the current state of that industry? And also what he's doing to draw people into his booth at an art show. I think a lot of this can pay huge dividends for people listening and bring them value, especially if they want to make that goal of selling prints themselves. You know, Josh is one of the best at doing this, so I wanted to get one of the best on to tell you exactly how he's doing it and what he's doing to succeed in that space. Josh is also a tremendous photographer and we talk about things like night photography and star trails and why that interests him so much. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Josh Merrill joining us fresh off of an art fair, prepping for another one. Josh, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks, David. Good to be here. Why don't you get us all on the same page with who you are uh, as a photographer, as a person, and share your story of, of how you got into photography and, and the steps that kind of led you to where you are right now? Sure. Well, that's a, a, a big topic. <laughs> it's lengthy. Um, yes, sounds good. Well, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, but yeah, I got into photography probably as, as many folks do. And uh, for me, that started with really a curiosity for nature. Um, growing up as a kid, I always loved going to local preserves and um, parks and uh, just exploring. And, you know, at some point, Along the way, I picked up a camera and started photographing the things that I was seeing and really enjoyed it and found that photography really taught me to see the world in a different way and become an observer of the things that was happening around me. So that was something that I really enjoyed and decided to continue on with that. As I get into photography more and more, I decided that this is something that I wanted to continue with and eventually went to school for photography and 
um, somewhere along the way, I started uh, going to local art fairs and selling my work. I did that fairly early on in my photography education. And my display in the beginning was really, really poor quality. <laughs> um, you know, the first few shows that I had, I don't think I even had frames on my artwork. They were just hanging matted prints because that's where I was and that's what, the budget that I had. But started sort of putting myself out there and uh, getting my work out in, in public. And and that's something that I think uh, really helped me to grow as a photographer. Um, I think the the booth at art fairs is a great way of editing your work and seeing what connects with the general public. And so that's uh, kind of a, a really long process. Um, took me, I don't know, five years or so before I really started finding my niche as a photographer. Do you remember the first camera that you had that you picked up to, to start off your journey with? Oh, you know, uh, back in the day, I actually started probably with those little disposable film cameras. <laughs> okay. Um, from like Walmart or something. That's right. Yep. Um, the little ones that you had to wind up, uh, between each click and, you'd drop them off. You didn't actually ever take the film out, but they did at the, at the photo lab. And uh, so that's how I started. Um, eventually I got a sort of little super zoom film camera, um, just a little point and shoot guy and started taking that on family trips and taking pictures at local parks and such with that. Um, and then eventually I got a little Sony point and shoot. And from there I ended up, uh, you know, moving up to some digital SLRs and, you know, more real cameras like I'm using today. But yeah, I started off with those little disposable film cameras. <laughs> I think like going through your education and displaying your work at an art fair, just still while you were in your photography education, um, really took some guts. Uh, it took me a while to, to get into an art fair, but do you remember the, the first print you sold to anybody? Ooh, you know, I don't really remember the first print that I sold, to be honest. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, I think it, you know, it takes some, I don't know if guts is the right word, but um, anytime you're putting out there your work, something that's very personal to you, um, you have to be ready to get feedback on that. Um, but I think really for me doing it, um, in the beginning when I, to be honest, wasn't that good of a photographer, uh, was really helpful in that I was doing that while I was still working full time and still going to school full time. Um, and I wasn't really relying on that to put food on the table. And so that allowed me to be really patient with learning my creative process and who I was as a photographer. Um, whereas I see a lot of folks, uh, starting out in the, the art fair world and, they try to dive in and they're expecting that they're going to be able to go home and make a living for their family off of that right off the bat and uh, end up getting burnt out really quick. Um, so I was really thankful to start slowly, start early when I wasn't really that good, to be honest. And uh, really, I was blessed to have a lot of support from family um, at the time, which I'm not sure that I really would have been able to pull it off if it weren't for that. What kind of support were they giving you? Oh man, everything from, you know, helping me out with setting up at shows, um, you know, from borrowing my parents' van when I was first starting out, you know, I obviously didn't have the money to purchase my own 
uh, cargo van for taking to art show. So just having that, those little things uh, really gave me a leg up. And that's something that I was privileged to have that maybe not everybody has. Do you attribute some of your success to, to bet to them and how you helped? For sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess it goes back even further than that too. And that I was actually homeschooled um, throughout junior high and high school. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of uh, hands-on instruction from, especially from my mom. Um, and she was a, a, a fairly creative person and she always encouraged and uh, cultivated artistic expression in us. So part of our homeschool curriculum included all sorts of crafts from candle making, you know, everything. And so I think I was given the, uh, the go ahead to sort of take risks and, and create things uh, growing up. And so maybe without that, I might not have uh, gone ahead and really given photography a go. It's interesting. I've had people on the podcast before talk about artistic cultivation and creative childhoods uh, and how that kind of led them to be more determined in taking risks. Do you think having that background really gives you a leg up later on in life if you do decide to take on a creative career? Yeah, I think it does. I think it, it, it at least gives you the permission to try. Um, I think any sort of creative field um, is a huge risk to go into. Um, I mean, with art fairs, not only is it the fact that you're in a creative field trying to sell your artwork, but you also have, I mean, weather. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you could have an entire show that you've been planning for for months, um, be washed out with, with bad weather. So it's, I mean, it's a huge risk. Uh, in many ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think having been given the permission to, to try creative things and, and having that encouraged as a child, I think definitely um, motivated me to, to try new things. And uh, yeah, I think it, it helped a lot. Let me ask you this. We're on the topic of of you as a child. I know we've gone back and forth just on Messenger about uh, similar journeys that we've been on becoming new parents and how that's impacted our own photography. How, how has your photography changed since you have become a father? Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's, if it's really changed my work that much. It's definitely uh, <laughs> changed family dynamics, work-life balance quite a bit. Um, In what I way? found it. Well, it's just, it's really difficult to get things done. <laughs> um, and it's really uh, become more difficult, you know, on a personal level, leaving home. Um, you know, I always, you know, missed my wife a lot when I was traveling on the road for photography. But, you know, leaving the little one at this sort of uh, special stage in life uh, is, <laughs> is, is even harder, I think. So um, it's made time away, you know, more challenging emotionally, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, at home, um, it's made that, that work-life balance really difficult too, because, um, since having our, uh, he's, he's 17 months old now, little Henry, mm -hmm. um, since having him, you know, my wife, um, has been home full time. She, she stopped her job. Um, and so everybody's always around. And when I'm not on the road photographing, I'm at home working, whether it's processing images or, 
making prints. Um, and it's sort of difficult to draw those boundaries, I think, for me at least, between work and family time. And so um, it's really easy for spending time with family to bleed into time when I should be working. Um, and it's really easy, you know, for me personally, I tend towards being a little bit of a workaholic. So on the, on the flip side, um, I often have a hard time turning it off um, and setting aside time really to, to spend with family when I'm working. So yeah. I think, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to say that uh, working from home makes that really challenging with the, with the family around. And I think a lot of people have experienced that during the pandemic this last year um, at an escalated level. I found it interesting and, and I agree with you totally on that. I've talked to some other photographers I know who have had kids that are around the, the same age, either, you know, let's go all the way up to two years old to newborns. Um, and they all say kind of the same thing to me. And I agree with their sentiment of it's really difficult when you're at home working to, turn off and on your like let's say putting on your business hat and like doing your photography and then taking that hat off and being dad and being involved with the family and then going back and going back and forth I don't I don't know if you felt that way too for sure and I, I think that's that's something that I felt um, even before uh, having our first child I think um, for me I I'm super motivated um, you know, in business. And so I think that's something that was sort of passed down from my father. He worked a ton um, when we were kids growing up. And so that's what I saw modeled. And I think I I took on that role as well. I, I work a lot and I'm happy to do it, but sometimes that probably gets into an unhealthy level of being sort of a workaholic. And, you know, my mind is continuously on photography and how I can grow, how I can grow the business. Um, what I need to be doing next. And I'm very task oriented. Um, and so sometimes I let things like personal time with, with my wife and with my family slide a little bit. And so that's something that I'm currently working on, trying to draw better boundaries uh, between work time and family time. What would you hope your son would say about you and your photography? Hmm. Well, Man, I think, uh, you know, what got me into photography was really uh, just a curiosity and a love for nature. Um, and I think that that's something that was really passed down to me from my grandfather, who was a biologist at Wheaton College. And then through my mother as well, we did little homeschool field trips out into nature as part of our curriculum. And that really instilled in me a sense of curiosity. And so if I could instill that same sense of, of curiosity and wonderment about all things nature uh, to my son. Uh, I think that would be a huge success. Um, as far as what he thinks about my photography, uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I'm not so worried about what he what he thinks about my work as much as uh, I'd love to uh, really get him into experiencing really special things in nature like I've been able to do for a living. I want to talk about your prints, um, art fairs, things like that. My initial question 
when I was perusing through your site just a second ago before we jumped on here is why not outsource your prints to like Bay Photo or something like that? Sure. Um, well, and I think uh, it's, it's probably worth mentioning that I, I do work with labs and do some drop shipping um, with my metal prints as, as I've started to sell more and more of those in recent years. Uh, I have started doing that a bit. Um, but what you lose when you're not actually hands-on a part of the print process is you, is you lose that total control over the final image. Um, I think we do so many things as photographers, you know, from image capture to post-production to color management um, when we're on the computer to try to have that total control. And then if we kind of turn that over to the printer and uh, they're not in your mind, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of variance that can happen in your, in your final print that might not be uh, how you intended. And so for my, the traditional prints I do all in house, I really like to keep that full control from beginning to end. Um, so yeah, it's not for everybody, but that's how I like to do it. Do you view the print process as part of the photographic uh, creation process, like the experience all the way back to kind of scouting locations in the field? Yeah, to be honest, uh, in my work, I would say less and less so. Um, and before you get uh, worked up about that, um, I guess I should clarify. I think that printing your work is is extremely important and valuable as a photographer. And I think that's a piece that's missing from many photographers these days is, you know, you have all those images just living on the hard drive and they never really come to fruition. I think photographs should be printed. So I think printing is important, but as technology has gotten so good, I think the, the ease at which you can really create an image that looks very similar to how you see it on the screen it's it's really easy now. Um, as long as you have your color management down really solid, um, it's really not that hard. So once I'm done post-processing, there's really not a whole lot of creative input that's going into the, the final print in the printing process. Um, I think if I was working, you know, in a chemical darkroom, that might be a little bit different. Um, but with the digital process and doing uh, pigment, you know, inkjet prints. I don't, I don't think there's that much creativity that goes into uh, the actual printing process. Although I do think it's something that everybody should do. What about challenges getting started? I mean, you mentioned thinking everybody should, should take on like printing their own work. And I've heard other people who do it say the exact same thing. Just a couple months ago, I was looking in to buy my first printer and just print like eight by tens or, you know, all the way up to maybe 11 by 17, something like that. And the amount of information that I was taking in made it very overwhelming to me. And I kind of just ditched the whole thing and said, well, I'll just drop ship stuff. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as, as looking into the, the right equipment to buy, um, thankfully with printers, it's actually a lot more simple than it is with say digital SLRs and you know, cameras these days, because you really only have a couple uh, primary manufacturers of printers that are, are you know, at the, the high end of, uh, you know, fine art inkjet printing. And so you're probably looking at either an Epson or a Canon. Um, and so there's really not like a ton of options that you have to sift through. Um, I happen to start 
printing with Epson printers um, when I was going through photography school. And so they made sense to me and that's just kind of what I went with. Um, but I know that Canon's doing a really good job as well. Um, so I don't think there's a whole lot of barriers to entry besides for, for price point on the printing side of things. Um, I think there are, uh, you know, other things you have to think about if you're going to be fulfilling your own orders and shipping your own orders. Whereas uh, if you go the drop shipping method, that's all taken off of your plate. You don't have to package orders and ship. So that's kind of nice. Do you ever feel overwhelmed dealing with the process of printing your own work? Uh, not so much. Um, you know, I've just, I've done a ton of it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm printing probably on average, you know, 75 to a hundred prints a week, uh, at least during art fair season. So I kind of have a good relationship with my, uh, my printer. I know what's going to come out when I send a file to the printer. Um, so there's pretty, pretty, very rarely surprises, um, when I'm printing. So yeah, I don't, I don't find it too difficult. It's just a matter of, uh, finding the time and <laughs> finding the balance in life to, to make all those prints, mat those prints, frame the ones that you're going to the frame uh, on a weekly basis to get ready for the next show. Well, I know I'm, I'm still really interested in printing my own work. Um, I think it would be relatable to, to a lot of people listening who would like to do that in the near future or the distant future. If somebody comes up to you and they say, Hey, I, I kind of want to take this on and, and, get into printing my own work, give me the first few steps that they need to learn to be able to do that. Um, sure. Uh, well, I think the biggest uh, issue that people have with printing their own work is, is color management. Um, and some of the, the biggest factors in that are ensuring that your process is reliable every time, right? So that there's very few factors that are going to change from one printing to the next. Um, and one of those things is ensuring that your monitor is profiled and calibrated so that um, what you're seeing on the screen is actually what that color is supposed to look like. Um, there are things called profiles that you can use in Photoshop, ICC profiles. And those are actually uh, formulated to give you an estimation of what uh, your particular ink set and the particular paper that you're planning on using is going to look like on the printed page. Now you're still looking at a backlit display when the final image is going to actually be ink on paper. So it can never be hundred percent perfect. Um, but those are a couple of things that are important to know about um, when you're getting ready to print. How many prints usually do you make with a new piece? Hmm. Uh, not very many, to be honest, it's usually, uh, just two or three of a new image before I've kind of dialed it in. And maybe that's just because I'm not very picky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm usually, I'm usually pretty happy with results after just uh, one or two tweaks, but you know, I've been printing on this, this printer for a long time. Um, so I can generally estimate what it's going to look like, uh, even when I'm just seeing it on the screen. In the, in the whole like print genre, the ability to sell your own prints as a whole, give me, give me one word to kind of describe how that, that like industry is right now. 
Oh man, one word. Uh, gosh, I don't know if that's really possible. <laughs> give me, give me a um, few I mean, then. <laughs> well, it's it's really hard to speak about the industry as a whole. Like I, I know my own anecdotal experience with selling my work at art fairs, um, but it's not something that I uh, really talk a lot about with uh, talk with other photographers, other colleagues about so much. So I can't really speak for the industry as a whole. Um, I know for me, I can say, you know, over the past five years, um, I've seen gradual improvement year over year, every year. Um, and some of that is, uh, it may have to do with the market, but really a lot of it is just me progressing year after year. And I think in, in a business like this, um, you can't really shortcut that long-term learning process of making something, bringing it to market, um, figuring out whether that's something that connects with people or not. Um, that's something that takes a while to sort of figure out. And at this point in my career, I sort of have an idea of whether a new image is going to connect with people and be successful or not. Uh, I'm not always correct, but uh, it's something that, you know, is cultivated over time. Um, and there's a whole lot of other pieces that go with that from your display to your price point to the ability to talk with people and uh, to sell. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces that have to come together to make a successful print business. Um, I, you know, you hear everybody saying that sort of prints are dead and that it's really not a, a way to make a living as a photographer. But um, in my experience, that's not necessarily true. It just takes a whole lot of hustle, a whole lot of determination, and I think patience with yourself and with the market. If so that was a lot more. That was a lot more than one word. <laughs> no, I mean, but it helps, and I think if that's the route you want to take, and you hear people say, "Well, prints are dead. I'm not going to pursue that." If I'm, if I can put myself in your shoes for a second, I would be saying to myself, "Well, that's." kind of exciting for me that that's a little bit less competition than I have to deal with because this is something I've had success with over time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay with people saying that. Uh, I'm certainly not offended by it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy that there's, you know, it, it's a super competitive market already. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay with less people trying it. <laughs> Do you, do you disconnect yourself emotionally from an image when you are selling it as a print? No, no. I, and I think, uh, and that, that, that's an important point I think is that there's a lot of reasons that, that people buy a piece of artwork. Um, I think sometimes they like the color and they like the aesthetic of it and it, you know, goes with the, the color of the room and the couch. <laughs> um, I think more often people connect with it based on whether it's a, a location that they have visited as a family or, uh, you know, it's a picture of, you know, their favorite tree or the, the flower that, you know, their grandmother had in their garden. Um, people, people connect with images on a whole bunch of different levels. Um, and I think, uh, I forgot where I was going with that completely. <laughs> what was your question again, David? Do you emotionally disconnect yourself from, from your images when they're prints? Yeah. So there's those couple of factors that I just talked about, but um, also I think you're, you're selling a, your personality, I think in, in a way 
And so if there's ever an opportunity, I see someone, you know, looking at a particular uh, piece of artwork or a print, um, I see them holding it up and looking at it. And I will look for an opportunity to share a story about uh, my experience photographing it or uh, tell them about something unique about that location and give them another opportunity to connect with it. So, yeah, I don't really disconnect myself from from any of the images. What what do you say to people? This, this is my biggest problem. I know <laughs> I know I sound like a people person having a podcast, talking to photographers week after week. I'm an, an extreme introvert. So you saying approaching somebody and sharing a story about how you created a photograph really makes me want to crawl into a corner and die. Um, <laughs> how how do you it. approach? Yeah, how do you approach people? When I think a lot of photographers feel that way about selling work. Sure. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm with you there. I'm actually a very introverted uh, person. Um, I think I learned some of the skills of conversation from working at Starbucks. I I managed a Starbucks for like 10 years while Mm -hmm. I was going through school and uh, learning photography (laughs) as well. Uh, So that, that gave me, I think the skills of just, talking with people, even if it was something I didn't care about. <laughs> um, but yeah, being able to just like talk as a normal human, I think is, is pretty helpful to uh, being in face-to-face with people and selling work. But yeah, there's, there's some basic things. I think, uh, you know, when someone walks into my booth, I, you know, try to make an effort to, to say hello and just let them know that I see them as a person without uh, being overbearing. And I'm, I'm not going to stand there in front of them and watch them look at my work. I think that would be super uncomfortable. So I, you know, kind of uh, touch base with them, say, hey, and let them know that if they have any questions, they can feel free to ask. And then I give them some space to, to look and think. And that way I've made somewhat of a connection with them. And uh, that gives me a little bit of license, you know, next time I walk around and see them looking at a piece. And then I can mention something about that, that location, the making of that photograph, um, without feeling like I'm just blurting something out. Um, I think for a lot of creative types, uh, the word sales just has a, a negative itchy connotation to them. Hmm. Um, but I don't think that that's, that that's good. I think that uh, if you're doing something that you think brings value, brings beauty to the world and possibly to this potential customer, I think that it's your job to look for opportunities to put them in touch with that. And so I think that's something, whether I'm selling someone a print or selling somebody a spot on one of our workshops, I, I feel like I'm giving them a good experience, whether it's on a workshop or I'm, I'm trying to see if there's an opportunity for them to take home one of my prints. I think that uh, it's my job to, to, to make that happen. And so I'm going to share the things that I think are, are beneficial about it. Um, the things that are special about that image. Um, and, 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 and in that process, you're asking a lot of questions, right? So you want to let them know that you care about what's actually right for them in their home, you know, mm. whether this is the right size for them. Do you know, do you think this works with uh, the color scheme you have going on there? Can you envision having this on your wall? And, you know, once they start doing that sort of thing, I think uh, them making the decision to pull the trigger is a, is a lot easier. You said you manage a Starbucks. What's your Starbucks order? 
Oh man, to be honest, I actually I'm a little bit of a coffee snob these days. Uh-huh. Uh, Starbucks was kind of my my gateway drug, mm. uh, but I, I rarely go to Starbucks anymore. I I do a lot of uh, fresh fresh coffee at home in a Chemex, so that's really my once or twice a day thing. Okay, are you actually like measuring out your beans and and everything? I do, although I don't actually do it by by weight like I should. I just do it by the volume of tablespoons. Okay. But yeah, it's all measured out, freshly ground, you know, within a minute of that water hitting the, the ground. So, yeah, I'm a little, a little snobby when it comes to my coffee. I, I heard somebody say with the Chemex one time that you have to pour a little bit in and let the grinds bloom before you pour everything in. True? You do. And that's, that's really the way that all coffee should be made. Uh, but when you, when you're doing a pour over, whether it's a Chemex or, you know, a cone pour over, uh, it's a lot easier to control that. Okay. Did you know that this was going to veer into like coffee snobbery? I did not, but I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. Are you tea? <laughs> do you drink tea at all? You know, not so much when I'm sick. I, uh, I pound the stuff down like crazy, but other than that, I don't really drink a whole lot of tea. I'm, I'm a high uh, caffeine milligrams sort of guy. <laughs> okay. If I'm, if I want to be a coffee, coffee snob, what, what, what's in your pantry right now that you're making? Ooh, so I've got, uh, uh, Ethiopia, uh, in my pantry right now. That's one of my, m- mine and my wife's, uh, favorite roast. It's a, it's a light roast, um, which, uh, you know, the light roasts actually have more caffeine content mm-hmm. in them because they're not burnt. Uh, so yeah, we, we tend to go with, uh, Ethiopia is one of our favorites. Have you gotten to the point of roasting your own beans yet? I've never done that. And I, I think, uh, where I'm at right now is probably where the journey is going to end as far as how deep <laughs> I can get into it. Yeah. I don't think I've got time for, uh, for roasting. Uh, I think people, people laugh that I take the time to do a pour over once or twice a day. I think that's probably as far as I can go. You know, there's, there's really nothing wrong with like a pot of Mr. Coffee. I mean, oh man, you're hurting me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we've, we've gone through the process of printing. We've gone through the process of talking to people at an art fair. Are there ways that you display your pieces to bring people into your specific booth? Hmm. Yeah, there are. Let me think about uh, what of that I can articulate. <laughs> I think that, that the display is a, is a huge piece of, of your uh, presence at a show. Um, I think it's something that, you know, I learned slowly. Every year uh, I made improvements, whether it's for, you know, just the structural stability of the booth, whether it's for how it, how it looks and how it draws people in. Um, uh, you know, I, I do you know, small touches that try to take it to the next level um, and just kind of give folks a, a sense of a premium experience when they're coming in. So I often have lights, um, you know, battery operated lights in my booth that are going to put put the work in the, in the best light possible. Yeah, I have a bunch of fans hanging in my booth when it's hot out to encourage folks that this is a comfortable place to step into. Um, I think that you know, part of it is also where you put what images. Um, I tend to put, you know, really big pieces on the outside walls, you know, right up front. Those are going to be the images that people can see from 150 feet away and might draw them in and uh, 
have them make the decision to even come over your way. So we have kind of big pieces on the outside, drawing them in to maybe a more intimate experience with smaller pieces that they might end up purchasing inside the booth. Now we've gone through, through display, the transaction is complete. What does it mean for you that, that somebody actually wants your creative vision on their wall? Man, it's, it's super gratifying. <laughs> I think, you know, beyond, uh, being able to put food on the table, I think <laughs> that's one of the things that, that keeps me coming back to doing shows because I mean, I'm not going to lie. They're, they're really grueling. <laughs> they're, they're exhausting. They take a lot of energy physically. Uh, you know, I think it, it's exhausting emotionally at times when you're putting yourself out there, you're standing out on the pavement or on the grass for, you know, two days straight, three days straight, uh, talking to people, having to always be on, uh, and make conversation with folks for that, that period of time. It's just, it's, it's draining. Um, especially as an introvert, like you and me are David. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of, there's a lot of negatives to it, but, but the fact that, you know, I might have a hundred people in a weekend having, you know, some having never seen my work before, some being repeat customers, but, you know, having folks make the decision on the spot that they saw my work and they want to make that a part of their daily lives, I think is really special. And I think it's something that is sort of humbling and and gratifying at the same time to me to know that, you know, my work is a part of thousands and thousands of folks everyday lives. I think that's pretty special. Is it more special when you get repeat customers? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, that, that gives me confidence that, they really enjoyed their, their other purchases and, you know, they've come back to, to collect more pieces and to see what new I have. Um, and that's, you know, one reason, you know, what strategy I have is that, you know, I'm always trying to, to bring new work to the show. So, uh, you know, during the off season from art fairs every year, I'm kind of seeing what I have, um, and looking through the new images that I've made in the past year and, you know, trying to bring probably 30 to 40% new work in the booth at the beginning of the year, which is a lot. I think most, most artists and most photographers don't do that. Um, but that's a way that I'm really, um, trying to encourage folks that have purchased from me in the past to come back and have a good experience and see a bunch of new work and not just, you know, the old stale stuff that's been there for the past eight years, um, which you do see (laughs) in some other, some other artist booths. Um, and I think you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot that way. But I think that also gets back to, you know, why I'm doing it and that, you know, I love being out in nature, creating new images, um, having new experiences and growing as a photographer. So, you know, I sort of never want to get stagnant um, and stop growing myself. And so I always want to be doing new things. Well, well, let's take it down that road. I know in the way of getting out into the field, you also do workshops when you're so successful with printmaking, why add in the workshop part of your photography business? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons that I do workshops. Um, you know, just, first of all, I just, I I love the experience of, uh, kind of having those, those shared adventures, um, in these places that I love getting to, you know, go out, take a group out and have them photograph the Milky Way for the first time and seeing, you know, their faces light up when they see that on the LCD screen for the first time, I think is, is really special. 
um, showing them, you know, amazing places, helping them progress with their photography, I think is really gratifying to me. Um, on the business side of things, it makes sense for me in a lot of ways because um, it sort of complements the, the art fair side of the business. And that, you know, a lot of times when I'm at shows, I have a lot of photographers that come up to me and, you know, want to ask a bunch of technical questions, want to get the lowdown on, on some of the images that I've made and what, the, what I recommend for them. And that's great. Um, but I've paid a whole bunch of money and put a whole bunch of work into being at the show uh, to be able to sell. And so in the past, I always felt like those conversations were counter to what my mission was being there at that show. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, probably cut them short quite a bit. Um, you know, I always try to be really gracious and, and gracious with information and advice. But um, now that I'm, you know, I've been doing workshops for the past, I don't know, six years or so. Um, I think that's in my mind turned those conversations into a positive thing. So instead of just being, you know, sort of taking away from the time that I should be selling, well, here I'm able to talk to this person and, you know, maybe this is someone who will take a workshop with us down the road. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's helped me. That's removed that mental block for me. Um, and also, you know, there are good compliments in my schedule to art fair season. So for me, art fairs tend to run uh, in the, in the upper Midwest from kind of April through the end of September. Um, and so if I go down to Texas in April, you know, I'm able to extend the season and do maybe I, I typically do about 25 shows in a row. So 25 weekends in a row from beginning of April to end of September. And then the rest of the year, I'm able to travel and do my own personal photography. And then I'm able to lead workshops. And I think they've, yeah, they've been, a, they've been a really good experience for me. And um, I think a lot of our participants would say the same thing and that we've got a ton of uh, repeat uh, clients. And so that that's encouraging to us knowing that they're having a good experience and coming back with us, you know, year after year, often on a couple trips. What workshops are you most excited about coming up in the rest of 20? Just forgot, just forgot what year it was. Yeah. Yeah, 2021 (laughs) and rounding it out in 2022. Yeah. We kind of lost a year in there somewhere. So it's all got kind of confusing. I think so. (laughs) Yeah. So man, we've got a really uh, jam packed schedule this fall with some really exciting offerings. Uh, most of them were actually sold out, but we did. We have had a, a few cancellations in the past couple of weeks that have opened up a couple of spots. But uh, the next one we have going is Iceland in September, which I'm super, super excited about. We've got a couple of spots left on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll be going to the Canadian Rockies, uh, assuming the border does open, which we're uh, crossing our fingers for an, an announcement on that front in the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, we'll be in, in Banff in October. Um, we'll be out in Capitol Reef in the Badlands in Utah in October. Um, and then uh, most of uh, the first half of 2022 is sold out for us uh, with Norway and uh, New Mexico. And then we'll be in uh, Olympic National Park next May. So we've got a couple spots open for that. And we'll be uh, announcing uh, several more workshops for the latter half of 2022 coming up here pretty soon. Where can people go to find more out about you? Yeah, you can always check out my website. Uh, that is uh, joshmerrillphotography.com. Um, you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram as Josh Merrill Photography. 
Josh, thanks so much for joining us and talking about your photographic journey. Hey, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, David. So the podcast just ended here, but if you want to continue hearing my interview with Josh Merrill and the rest of the things that we talked about, you can go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. So we have three different tiers, all give you access to the exclusive audio and bonus interview content from me and my guests. And in Josh's interview, we went a little bit deeper into prints, uh, where those are going and what the next big thing is in prints in photography. And I also gave him the opportunity to share a little bit of an embarrassing story about a mutual photographer we know, Dusty Doddridge, to which I feel like he took the high road on. I'm sure he has a lot more embarrassing stories to tell than the one he shared. But that's just the kind of guy that Josh is. We talk a lot more about prints, how he does them, and how he makes an income off of those, and where that industry is going. Can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.